Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. This week on the Not A Mommy Yet podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Siggy Cohen, a child development specialist and parenting expert, in some circles even known as the child whisperer. I had the pleasure to connect with Dr. Siggy and we covered so many topics in this episode, I learned so much. We chat about what we can be practicing before having kids on our own and with our partners, how to practice setting boundaries, helping children understand their emotions and flex their emotional muscles, taking care of yourself as a parent so you can be a better parent, as well as the step-parent and stepchild relationships and how to navigate that. With so many blended families these days, these tips are really helpful. We also talk about how to manage kids being bored and time using technology, adjusting your expectations to fit your child, not trying to adjust your child to fit your expectations. And then we get into a couple of great questions from people in my network who wanted to ask Dr. Siggy about limiting the tantrums when kids don't get what they want and establishing those roles of parent and child where authority is understood while having mutual respect between parent and child at the same time. So many of these tools, I may even say all of them, revolve around communication, and these can all be applied to life before and without kids. As you can tell, there are so many things here that a lot of us can work on, and putting these tools into practice will help us do that. These are so helpful to any adult. I hope this episode inspires you, so without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Siggy Cohen. Enjoy. Okay, yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Siggy, for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today about child development and emotional development and um, tips for, you know, parents and also people who are planning on having kids one day. So first, I would love to hear kind of your background and your experience raising three boys, how you got into this work. Right. So I, I always worked with children and I was always around kids, even as uh, in my younger years, as I didn't really plan on being a teacher, but I was always sort of being uh, thrown into it somehow. It was always like an easy way for me to get a job because I just kind of felt comfortable. I had the background and so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. each time I tried to get away from it, somehow I found myself back teaching preschool (laughs) or helping families and so on and so forth. Long story short, yeah, I was a mom. I was a young mom. Um, I had my three boys. I loved being a mom. It felt this is my essence. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, I decided to go back to school, uh, further my education, which I actually thought I will use to become a college teacher. 
And I did that. And then that evolved into um, me working, teaching parenting, working with parents on different child development issues. And that evolved into my private practice and the work that I do today. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I absolutely love your Instagram account. I share it with a lot of my friends who maybe don't have kids yet. I've shared it with, you know, family members who do have kids. It's just full of so much great information and your approach. It's, it's so approachable. I mean, it's so, it's not intimidating, you know, when you're just teaching basic skills on, I think it's like communication at the end of the day and like how you react to things, which is so important to work on in life in general. Um, and when I was in college, I majored in psych and I studied child development. And when I took that class, it definitely hit me like, this is super important for people to know, (laughs) like just to understand how the brain is growing in your child and how they understand things totally differently than us. Um, so, Something that, you know, I've talked to my friends about this before the podcast with you that we all want to know is things that you want people like us to know about child development before we have kids, maybe conversations we should be having with our partners too. It's true. So, you know, I can say that it is often sometimes to practice being a parent before you are a parent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's almost like you can't fully know what it's like unless you're actually right there. But some of the things to be prepared for is that it is intense. It does take a lot of resources, whether personal, regularly, on a daily basis. It requires you to be present, to be um, giving to someone else so much more of yourself. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, recognizing that you're going to have to learn to balance, that you're going to have to be mindful and aware of you, the person, and you, the parent, the role of a mom, and then also everyone else in the family. What is the role of each and every person in this family that you're creating that there is Parts of us, we are in this together. Parts of us, we each still have to have space, give space, be somewhat our own individuals, which is definitely very difficult. And I think it's like a lifelong journey, right? It's not just when you're in it. We always have to kind of know the balance and the fine line between us being with someone together and us just being us ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, you know, one of the things to discuss. Of course, there's many different um, approaches to raising children. It is nice and good to talk to your partner about some of the big morals, the big values and ideas that Mm -hmm. you both share and both have. Um, So, you know, walking into this, you do have some mutual goals in terms of how you vision and how you see um, you as parents, um, because differences do exist. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Having those discussions of like the roles that you'll each play also, like you said, and, and some, and a few people, of course, in the process of having this podcast have laughed at me, like you can't prepare for parenthood. Like there's no way you'll ever be able to be prepared for this because I mean, just basically you don't even know what your kid is going to be like. So it's, you know, it's impossible, but 
it's more about how, what you can do in it inwards, I guess, and with yourself in the ways that you can, I guess, prepare and setting those boundaries and thinking out those roles. And I think also having those conversations of like, when you're going to have time for yourself and when you're going to do this or that, a lot of the stuff that I've been, um, I just read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And she said, you know, it's all about modeling, you know, your kids, it's not so much about necessarily teaching them directly, like word for word. It's more about showing them how to live a life in the way that you want them to, um, grow and learn to do. So I think, yeah, setting those, setting those boundaries beforehand is good, but also realizing you're going to just model and kind of show kids that too. Um, Yeah. It's kind of like relationship. Think about the vision you have of your partner and then the reality of having that partner. So maybe some of these ideas were there before and you thought this is how it's going to be. This is what we're going to be like. And then you have to practice that on a daily basis or regularly you hit Mm -hmm. these moments, these bumps where you're like, wait, I didn't really sign up for that. Oh, okay. I have to learn about this. I have to understand what it means, how to grow through it and so on. It's kind of the same because a relationship with a child, you're right. You don't really know who they are. Mm -hmm. You're not in charge of everything. They come with their own, Um, but it is a dynamic that you're studying regularly and learning how to be in it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So kind of on that note, um, setting boundaries for kids, for kids, like helping kids set this is something that you recently, I think posted a little bit about. And I thought that was really interesting of how to help kids, I guess, figure out how to do that. So what kind of tools do you share with your clients who are parents, you know, to teach their kids how to set boundaries for themselves? Um, we, we often think that boundaries all come from us and children don't actually understand boundaries, but they really do. What it means is that we almost are there to remind them, uh-uh, no, we can't do that. Mm. Yes, and actually, you know, as they get older, it's like, yeah, and you know what the answer, you know, can I have ice cream now? Can I do this? You know, yeah. it's kind of like, can you have ice cream now? I think you know what time is and so on. So using their own personal and and individual intelligence, because we are born with some of that internal mechanism to know, to read this surrounding. It's kind of like you just said, we model. So we don't have to teach them everything. We have to kind of use them and they recognize what else is going on. I know I know the routine. I know what I can and cannot do. Yes, sometimes they ask questions that are, you know, completely from out of nowhere, but often they do know, use that. The other thing is always know children are subjective. They come with their own mindset. And really what it means is that the world is truly according to them. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes very hard for us to understand because this is when we set a boundary and rationalize it because, 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 because. And to children, that because does not always mean what we want it to mean. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, but I think, you know, they have magical thinking. They have imagination. They have this grandiose thought that they can do anything and everything because the lines between imagination and reality is blurry. They lack experience, so they can't fully think through. 
All that makes them say, no, it can be done. I can do it. I can get that. If I only push, if I scream, if I and know <laughs> you enough and so on and so forth. So set boundaries by, yeah, no. And I think you do kind of know. And then I recognize, I see, I understand what it is that you want. I know. And now we actually help them recognize the emotion they are struggling with and support that, not rationalize the bit, the reason why we set boundary, but help them almost like flex that emotional muscle. It's hard when you don't get what you want. It's hard when things don't work your way. Think that the boundary is very simple. No is no. Sometimes I can explain. A lot of times I can let, I can say, I think you kind of know. And then what I am actually doing is supporting the emotional muscle as if I'm coaching and cheering them on strengthening that. You can do it. I know it's hard when you don't get what you want. That is the actual support that children need not in rationalizing and arranging and explaining the world to them all the time, but actually letting them or helping them get through the difficult emotion that they're feeling when there's resistance, when when there's frustration and anger and misunderstanding. It's like, I know Mm -hmm. it's very hard. You can do it. It's okay. When we're frustrated, we can say, we can use these words and so on and so forth. That's what we're doing. We're really helping them flex emotional muscles Mm -hmm. rather than constantly explain the actual factual world to them. Got it. That's really helpful. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that definitely goes into how you said, you know, it's not good or bad to feel all the feelings. You know, you don't want to say to a kid, don't cry. You know, you want to you want to feel that with them. You want to make them feel validated. You want to talk them through that and help them understand it better too. Yeah. Like you said, it's for their emotional intelligence. I mean, a lot of adults, I think have to kind of unlearn this and I'm sure it's a process once they become parents to have to check themselves and realize like, why am I telling them not to cry? Why am I telling them not to feel, you know, that's something that it might come very naturally. And so do you talk through with your clients who are parents kind of, I'm sure to some extent, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like a therapist for the parents too, in a lot of ways. Totally. Yes. Yes. So how do you kind of help them through that and, and kind of navigating, you know, feeling all the feelings for themselves and for their kids? Right. Because I reach to, I re, when a parent has a difficult time with their child, it's really them having a difficult time with their emotions. I am disappointing my child. I am making my child not happy. I am not fulfilling mm. my child's expectations. It's so much about the self. We think yeah. about the kids, but it really is about us. Yeah. And so the support that parents need is really to understand You are the ones that are struggling with a lot of emotions as well. And you need also to cope and manage and regulate yourself, not just constantly try to make everything fine for your child. Right. It's really like, I need that oxygen. I need to take a deep breath so I can then help my child take a deep breath. If I'm out of breath and I'm trying to revive my child, God forbid, that's not working. Right. So 
This is actually, it's a lot of mindfulness, awareness, self-reflection on, on part of the adults rather than constant micromanaging that parents try to do mm-hmm. for their children's emotions. Don't feel that. Why are you crying? Here, you can do this. You can try that. Or no, and don't worry. Like, that's just a lot of deflection, diffusing. Yeah. Because they are uncomfortable. Yeah. Situation. God, yeah, that's definitely, I feel like probably rings true for a lot of people. I mean, including myself, like that's work that you have to do every day. Like you say, it's practice. It's not going to happen naturally right away. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, just taking a deep breath, I guess, and thinking through your your reaction to something is the best way to start. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about stepchildren too, um, because I actually recently got married and I've been with my husband now on and off for 10 years, 11 years. And so his son is 14. So I met him when he was three. And um, I, you know, how do you kind of, do you ever have work with clients, I guess, who have stepchildren or are having a hard time connecting with them, you know, at any age, really? I'm just curious how you kind of build those bridges between people who aren't the biological parents. And I, I guess it could really be any caregiver that isn't the biological parent, but um, yeah, building those relationships, you know, how do you, how do you help with that? Yeah, and I do, and I work a lot with blended families and children mm-hmm. of divorce and uh, parents that go through that. So, yes, it's very, very close to my heart, and I totally understand what you're saying. So mm-hmm. here's the thing. I often say this. No one ever says, when I grow up, I want to be a step-parent, and no child ever says or dreams, oh, I hope <laughs> that one day I'm someone's stepchild. There's no such thing. So the role of step-parent, step-child is already something that one, culturally, we have a lot of stigma about it. And it's almost like passed on through the generations, right? The stepmom, the evil stepmom, and so on. It really is a very difficult place to be because no one ever wishes for that. That's the thing. So if you are, if you are, let's say you are you, Natalie. Um, not the stepmom of your um, husband's child, but you are the neighbor. You are, um, you know, I don't know, like his coworker. You are just somebody that he knows. Suddenly you're great. Natalie, you're cute and you're fun and you're sweet and you're helpful and cool. But you take this, Natalie, put her in stepmom. Oh, no, that's the word. Yeah, now you're evil. Now you're bad. Now you are, I don't like you. I don't, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So that's on behalf of, you know, on the part of the child looking at a step parent. It's somebody they never want in a way to have in their life because it doesn't sound like the right thing to have. Mm-hmm. So we have to reframe that. I am in your life. I am another adult in your life. I am not here to take anybody's place, but I am in the role of a parent or parental role in such a way that I can care for you. I care about you. I have a say because you are still a child. Mm-hmm. And even if I was the neighbor and you were at my house, I still could say certain things to you. You know how they say, you're not my mom. Don't tell me what to do. You're right. I'm not your mom. But I am 
a responsible adult in your life. So I can. In that role, I do have some rights to chaperone you, to mentor you, to take care of you. Mm-hmm. That's that's that. Now on your, you know, from your end, um, raising your own children is extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. Raising someone else's child is really <laughs> so much more challenging. Mm-hmm. So think about that. You're already both placed in this sort of tight, squeezed role that you didn't ask for. Mm-hmm. Can it be done? Yes. You have to reframe it. You have to realize and recognize what it is. You have to understand um, the mindset, the expectations, the the fear and anxiety about it. And once we understand that, you can't just be Natalie, stepmom, a great person in his life um, that is an addition to everyone else. Yeah, super helpful. I, I definitely, I agree with you. You know, it's not necessarily something anyone ever asks for, but it is um, something that can be navigated if done the right way. And, and like what you just said, it's it's about conversation and um, just making it very clear to them so they understand it. And it's not them putting these, um, I guess, false beliefs or, or assumptions on what the relationship will look like. Instead, you have to show them this is how it's going to be and it's going to be okay. And um, you know, I'm in a unique situation where he's known me since I, since he was three. So I, I'm not like a stranger. He's the one that started calling me his stepmom to his friends without us ever having this conversation, which honestly just made me happy. Like that was so yeah. nice. Just started doing that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's super helpful. Um, so for boredom, you know, when kids are bored, I was reading, you know, about also in that book Untamed that boredom breeds creativity and it breeds all these things. And, and as parents, I think, or as caregivers in general, you just want to, your kid's like, I'm bored, I'm bored. And you want to give them an iPad or give them this or give them something to like take away that boredom. But it actually could be really good for kids. You know, she says, um, boredom leads to the chef in the kitchen. Boredom leads to the artist painting. Boredom leads to this doing that. So they find, you know, the thing that they want to fill that boredom with. Um, so do you help parents kind of figure out how to inspire their kids, I guess, and, um, bring different, um, expose their kids to, I guess, different activities and different ways to kind of get their brain going like, Oh, I really enjoy doing this. Yes, absolutely. So boredom is very subjective and it is very personal. Boredom is not a thing. And that's why we don't actually fix or replace it. We are, we all get bored because uh, in different times for different reasons and so on and so forth. So when a child says I'm bored and a parent rushes to fix it right away, you can do this, you can do that. Why don't you, you have so many much stuff and so on they're actually taking away exactly what you said. Natural motivation, natural creativity, natural ability to solve problems, to figure things out internally, to really sit with um, a situation that's uncomfortable and turn it around. That is true lemons to lemonade. That's what boredom is. Mm-hmm. really start you're like oh god this is okay I got a bunch of lemons now what do I do with them oh interesting maybe I can yeah 
So boredom is actually important and necessary. And I say it all the time, parents, don't take boredom away from your children. Don't fix it for them. Mm-hmm. When a child says I'm bored, say, yeah, I know. Recognize it's just a passing emotion. It's not sort of an alarm for you to come out and rescue your child from whatever it is that makes them feel bored in the moment. Let them be bored, acknowledge. Now, I know children are persistent, but I'm bored, I'm bored. It's okay. You can be bored, but I don't like it. I know you don't like it, but yeah, it's okay to be bored. It really is okay. So (laughs) what should I do? Most often children use that to manipulate, actually, parents to give them what it is that they want. Fine. Okay. iPad. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because the toys that they have, no one has to tell them to go play with. It's only what they can't have that they try to get out of the parents. So parents also need to know that sometimes they're using this on board to get the parent to give them something they're not supposed to have. So most of the time, don't do anything about boredom. Just recognize, validate, reflect back. Uh Uh-huh. I know. Yeah. And then really allow your child to figure it out on their own. It's crucial. It's important. Mm-hmm. Don't micromanage that. Yeah, that must be really tough for parents. So that's like probably like what it feels like to be sleep training and you hear your baby crying. You're like, I just want to go in there and help them. Yeah. But um, I think it's like you said, like get, getting the iPad, you know, in 2021, I mean, we have so many options for technology now, like iPad, cell phones, TV, computer, it's endless. And, and I think that that's the hardest thing is how do you get them to stay off of those things while at the same time, some of those things, kids could be exposed to maybe hobbies or, um, talents that they might not have known of before. So it's like finding this balance with the technology. How do you kind of navigate that? Absolutely. It's very true. Don't make technology bad. Don't fight technology as if it's wrong. And that's why you're constantly trying to take it away from your child. When your child is on technology, you're absolutely right. First of all, there's men. First of all, that's the way the world is. And right now, even more. So really, you can't fight something that is so big and bigger than all of us. And it's here to stay. We have to learn to accept it, live with it peacefully. So don't say like, you're too much on the, you you know, all the time, that's all you want and this and that. Say, I think you've been on it, whatever screen, plenty for today. So we're going to take a break. There are other things we can do. Fill the day with few other things. Notice that your child is interested in some other things outside of any of these screens and focus on that as well, not just constantly putting technology down. Actually, on the contrary, you want to say technology is great. Thank goodness we have technology because when you do that, you're not actually accommodating the access use of technology. You're just not fighting it. Take away, you know, it's like we say, pick your battles You don't have to fight about everything. Anything you can turn into positive interaction is so much better for you Mm -hmm. and your child in the home. So don't fight and don't add negative um, energy into this whole technology. Set boundaries. Yeah, we did enough of that. 
Um, I know, for instance, that, yeah, technology is for you to be creative. Of course, it's cool. Of course, it's also their socialization right now. This is how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So remember that and focus on, on that positivity about technology and then say, but we can't just do that. We have other parts of our brain and our spirit and our body, right, that we need to use. So let's go for a bike ride around the block. Let's go bake some cookies. Let's um, draw yeah. in color or, I don't know, paint with water outside or a lot of things. You want to recognize that their life has other pieces to it and remind them of that. Yeah. Um, have you heard of the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings? No, I don't they- think so. Okay. So it's, it's two moms who run the account and through COVID they've found great success. And, um, I love their account. And one of the, 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 the kind of on this note, like they gave an example the other day of when you're leaving the park and you don't want to have another meltdown, you kind of shift the focus of like, we're going to leave now. Are you excited to go home? What are we going to do at home? What activities should we do? So it's like, again, you don't, you want them to feel the feelings, but also you need them to understand that it's not all bad, you know, that they, that it's not all negative. So that is also kind of finding a balance of like letting them be upset if they want to be upset, but also helping them understand that there is still more fun to be had. There's something to look forward to. Like, is that the right, would you say the right approach to handle that situation? Sometimes, absolutely, you know, building sort of like an expectation of what will happen later on once this is over with. It's not all, everything is over with. Children very much live in the moment. So take me away from the park and this is it. No, we go away, (laughs) park is done. There's other things to do and other things to have, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you actually want to prepare them for the letdown at the end of the park day or the park hour. It's like, at some point we are going to leave the park. And I remember last time you had a very hard time, or I know it is very difficult for you to end that because it's so much fun. Stay in that moment and recognize all the emotions about it. The reason they don't want to leave the park is because it's so great, right? And they don't want it to end. We understand that but it does end and we have to, yeah, it's going to end. And you may get upset. We're still going to leave. You can cry. You know, I don't know that you need to throw such a big tension, but you can say, Oh, I'm going to miss the park. I love it. We had fun. You see, we can engage and help them engage with us by expressing how they're feeling as opposed to acting how they're feeling. So Mm. we show them it's okay to be upset rather than don't be upset. You know, then we have to leave. It's like, you can be upset, but maybe you don't have to throw attention. They have to drag you, (laughs) you know, you can just, mom, I had so much fun. I really loved it. I did this. I did that. Let's talk about it because this is how we also stay in the moment and the experience by reliving them when we talk to each other about it, right? We all have that, like, oh, wow, I went here, I did this, and we love to share. So that's what you're helping them through this transition. Not just park ended, let's talk about the next thing, but what is that transition that we are in between park and the next thing that we still have something to feel and share and express? Right. So do you, um, 
kind of just going off that, do you, do parents ever come to you where they've kind of already, let's say their kid is like five. So they've kind of already been a certain type of parent they've, and now they want to shift or adjust that. Like how much of it is like, I don't want to say like too late. That sounds so bad, but just like how much of it can now be remolded with the relationship between the parent and child? A lot. So parents come to me also when the child is 12 and they have done it a certain way and they finally change something about it. So yes, think like that. Human beings are able to reframe themselves. It's not easy. It's not like, okay, out with the old, in with the new. It's not, but we can. We can sort of like morph and change and grow and evolve. So yeah, it is possible to do it when a child is five. It's not too late. When a child is 10, it's not too late. It's difficult. It's better to do it from the very beginning. But sometimes, you know, This is the way life is. This is what happened. It's not all lost and gone. I'm I'm a big believer in hope. And hope is the ability that things can be better than Mm. what they are right now. And that's what I tell parents. Absolutely. There's always a way to evolve and reframe who you are, your relationship, make it better, strengthen some parts that are weak. Mm -hmm move on to the next phase. That's, that's nice to hear. (laughs) Also, I think like some of these services and through social media, for example, like people like yourself are are becoming so much better known. And so people know now that they would have someone like you, which maybe wouldn't have occurred to them before. So like I, I interviewed a lactation consultant and she started her business because she had no idea who to go to, to help her through that experience um, 11 years ago. And, and now, so, but now, you know, more people know, oh, I can go to a lactation consultant. So it's like you figuring out, you know, what support you have access to also might come at a time that wasn't at the beginning of when you needed it, but it still can be super helpful. Um, I think another quote that I saw on your Instagram was love the child you have, not the child you wish you had. It does. It's always stuck with me because my mom said, um, something similar growing up, especially when she was helping parents figure out what school for their kids to choose, uh, what would be best for their kids. You know, don't try and stick your kid in a school that you want them to go to try and find the school that works for your kid. So there are those situations where there's just not a connection. Like you see it even maybe in bigger families where one child is super close with the parents, but then the other one is not close with the parents or the siblings or just always at odds. Like there's just something missing. How do you help like connect that or fix that? Like, is there a way to fix it? Or is it kind of like, maybe this just isn't supposed to be a close relationship. I, I don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm just curious how you help families with that. Right. It's a very, very good question and great topic. And yes, and I did say that love the child that you have, not the one that you envision and want and expect, because that results in frustration and anger and disappointment, right? Right. It's it's like, it's a good philosophy, no matter what, love the the life you have, rather than the one you're constantly wanting and longing for. And, And it's not that. So Absolutely, you can realize and recognize that in families, the dynamics between 
um, any child and parent is very, very different. It's not that we don't love them equally. It's that we love them differently and we are connected to them in different ways because they are different people. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have more than one child and of course more than one parent, yes, any two people create their own dynamic, including a parent and child. So with one child, you can have more in common, maybe your personality sort of like gel better. Um, there is uh, interests that connect you and with another less. Does it mean I love that child less? Does it mean that I am more challenged by this child? I don't love the child yet um, um, less, but I am more challenged in that connection. Mm-hmm. So it's not the quality of the connection, it's the difference in the connection. Mm-hmm. So we work on that. We look at, I may not be connected to my children all exactly the same way because as they get older, they are different people. I still love them very much all the same way. And I recognize what we have and what we can have and actually come completely to terms with that and make peace with it. It's like there's nothing wrong with me and you if we sometimes sit there and don't know what to talk about. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It just is. I'm still your mom. I still love you. You're still a great person. And that's just how it is. It's fine. Let's not look for always what is wrong because maybe nothing is wrong with that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a scary thought, you know, for someone who doesn't have kids um, to think that I could have a kid that I just, yeah, like I don't love any less and they're still their own person, but that we just don't connect, you know, and, and that's, but I think, yeah, it's, it's the way you handle the situation just ensures that they always know that you're still there for them, that you're their parent, that you love them just as much as any other sibling that they might have. And um, that way, you know, then it's no like permanent damage done to the relationship or anything. No, it's not. And also as a parent, you want to say to yourself, my role is to be curious about my child, not to make my child what I want them to be. Mm-hmm. So I can you know, this is my child and yeah, they're kind of different than me and I don't always get them, but I can be curious about who they are. I can learn and study who they are and get close to them just by showing that kind of interest rather than we're not the same. We're so different. We don't get along. Like it's not about me. Yeah. My my love is there for my child. The rest is theirs to also just be in the world however they need to be. And maybe I can just witness that and be, um, you know, interested in it, maybe even inspired by it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love the curiosity component that just it like clicks when you said that. <laughs> so, um, so I did ask a couple of friends, you know, kind of if they had any questions for you. And one of them was from a mom. She has a three-year-old boy and she just wants to know how is she like how to remain calm as the parent when for in her words the 27th time the son says I want this I want that or no 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 like just how does how or maybe how do you avoid getting to that point and then how do you handle it if you're already at that point 
Yeah. And so, like I said before, boundaries have to be very clear. I'm imagining that when she says, I've said no for the 27th time, or he's constantly coming back to me with, I want something's missing. Mm -hmm. And, and she can actually fill that up with recognizing that he does want something just that I know you want, I know you want. The thing is that often when a child says, I want and this, and now you can't, and it's not the time and stop asking. And I already told you, I mean, you see there's so much anger and frustration. All I need to do is really actively hear the child and reflect back to them that feeling, that sense that I get them, even when I can't get them everything they want. Mm -hmm. You see, when I understand you, you understand me, it's the greatest feeling in the world. That's when we're fully connected. So I know, I know you want, but I want, I know, yeah. It's hard when we don't get what we want. I know. Yeah. Now you say it once or twice. This is it. Now he does come back and now she can use his intelligence. And as I said in the beginning and say, mm -hmm. I think you know what I'm going to say, right? Yeah, I bet you do. I know. You know what I'm going to say. Now you can tell me actually, what does it feel like to want to not get what is so hard? Like when you don't get, you see, cause now I'm not fighting on this. I want, and you know, I know I'm actually engaging with my child. I've moved on and away from this tug of war. I'm mm -hmm. expanding the connection and their mind and their awareness of themselves. Yeah. Why is it so hard for me to not get what I want? I mean, no kid asks themselves that, but that's actually a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what do you think is so hard about it? Do you know? Do you have an idea? I bet you do. Think about it. Of course, they don't know. I'm not expecting a three-year-old to philosophize, you yeah. know, what it is that they want and can get and how does it feel. But it does give them a sense that we understand what is going on inside them. It makes them feel like we're right there with them in mm -hmm. that feeling. And that actually does spark or jumpstart the ability to be aware and create mindfulness or grow this mindfulness. So work on that rather than on this tug of war. No. And I told you, and for the 20, notice how you're getting frustrated. Stay actually very calm. Your child's job and role is to come to you constantly. But it doesn't mean they just want something or whatever it is they're asking for. It means they want something from you. And a right. lot of times it's just engaging with them about themselves, their emotions, their mindset, and so on and so forth. So talk about that. With that the world, she can use a lot of times like, so I did say no, and I know that is, this is hard for you. What do you think you can do about it? Use a lot of that. What can you do to help yourself? Do you have an idea of what you can do instead of what or how you can help yourself? Use a lot of times that also helps them look inward rather than be so codependent on us. Great. Kind of Oh, I have a choice in the matter. Yeah, your mind can help you figure things out. It's That's kind good. of like when one door closes, we need that window. 
that's exactly what it is. We can't say it to a young child because they don't know what we're saying, but we can show them how that's actually being done. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That's super helpful. So I think that that'll be great, especially, yeah, for young children when they're just constantly, you know, in their own world, that makes a lot of sense to get them to start reflecting back on themselves a little bit. Um, and then the other question was about establishing authority. So this is something that I can understand why it would be on parents' mind, because you want your kids to know that you are the authority, the authority, right? You're the, the figurehead of the family. And, but you want this, at least I would think you'd want this like mutual respect, right? Like you respect the child and their boundaries and that they're an independent person that they need to grow into themselves, but they need to be respectful of the rules in the house or like, you know, like curfew or talking back all those things. So how do you do that in a way to help parents who might have been raised maybe with more verbally or even physical, like spanking, like using those types of tactics, if their parents use that or their grandparents use that, how can we break that cycle um, and still establish that authority that they want? Right, absolutely. So the, the, the mistake here is the thought that because my parent was authoritarian, they used threats and intimidation and maybe even cross boundaries with physical um, yeah. you know, ways to punish me and show me who's boss. That is authority. That's not authority. That is one kind of dictatorship yeah. <laughs> authority, but that's not the authority that anyone wants now. But authority is not in the harshness. Authority is a state of mind in the role that you believe you have. So I think that parents have to ask themselves, when I am the authority what does it mean to me? Because I think that many of them come from this sort of like, I want this mutual respect. So it means we're equal. We're not equal. Authority doesn't mean that we are equal. Authority does mean that someone is above me and that's okay. Because that's a role they earned, a role they're supposed to be in. They didn't mm -hmm. sort of like, they didn't hijack that role. They earned it. They got it. It's okay. I need as a child to know someone is actually above me. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to look up, to be mentored, to be chaperoned, to know that someone knows more than me. That's mm -hmm. the authority that parents need to really understand they have. It's not like, because I told you, and you know, we're not trying to convince them. We're like, yeah, that's just the way it is. I am in charge. You're not the boss of me. Actually, I am. <laughs> and that's okay. It's not like, you know, kids will say it and parents, no, of course. But think about it. No, I am actually the boss. And you know what? It's a good thing. Thank goodness you have a boss. Children do need someone mm -hmm. to be there, to know more, to take care of them, to understand. Yeah. So that's what I'm here. What I can tell you is that I am a good boss. I am the boss, but I'm a good one. I'm respectful. I'm kind, but I'm still in charge. Mm -hmm. So it's an ownership that parents need to have internally, like really understand and not think that they're equal to their children and their role in their child's life is to make them happy all the time. No. Your yeah. job is not to make your child happy all the time or at all. Your job is to take good care of your child, to provide your child with what your child needs. 
Mm-hmm. Mainly to stay in charge. Yeah. So kind of, yeah, taking ownership, like you said, that makes so much sense. Yeah. That's, I think they'll find that really helpful. Thank you. Um, so yeah, just the final few questions so we can wrap this up. Um, what mantra or words do you like to live by? Ah, uh, that's a very good one. So I, yeah, I remember you wrote that and I was like, yeah, what is it? Um, I think growing and learning is definitely something that I absolutely believe in, that we are an evolving, you know, organism. Yeah. <laughs> so it means that we constantly have to learn and to recognize and to revisit and to rethink things. It doesn't mean that we always have to reinvent ourselves and right. throw the old and, you know, and kind of, okay, ta-da, this is me. It means that we grow. It's like building blocks. We're growing. We take the experiences. We recognize maybe new thoughts, new ideas, new understandings. So I would say that's definitely, I'm a lifelong learner, and I believe that that's the way um, to go about. Um, that would yeah. be, and I think empathy is my other one. Like empathy is the recognition of someone else and who they are and what they are that doesn't fully resonate with you, but you recognize it about them. It's not we're fully in sync. It's I understand we're different. And I understand that I don't always understand you, but I have empathy because I recognize who you are and I allow you to be who you are. So it helps me when I um, practice that, you know, empathy, it helps me actually come, I feel at peace with myself as well. Yeah. Yeah. My friend calls it earth school. We're just here in earth school, (laughs) growing and learning. (laughs) Yeah. I think the idea of like fully reinventing yourself all the time sounds exhausting. So just doing it step-by-step day by day, every interaction you have is an opportunity. Um, Absolutely. And then we all know it takes a village to raise kids. What did you value most in your community of people around you and your children and family um, who might still be helping you today or, or helped, you know, shape your sons into who they are? What did you value the most in that? Oh, absolutely. I believe in the village. I love the village. I think the village is so important. And I did have a village. It was a big, large group of friends, mothers that we all sort of like helped each other, recognized each other's children, um, um, supported one another, um, even sometimes raised each other's children in in some kind of way. Um, And that exposed our children to a lot of other people. Um, I definitely um, was extremely inclusive always of family. It's not like, don't do that or no, 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 that's not. It's kind of like, you know what, children do have to recognize that people are different and people are going to, by age, by culture, by race, by gender, by all kinds of things, treat them differently. And that's fine. It's Mm -hmm. not my job to tell my child how to be exactly the same with everybody because everybody's going to be the same with them. No, it's actually my job to expose my child to the village. And when they come, well, grandma said, and so-and-so, and and I'm like, yeah, they did. (laughs) Right. A little different than what I said, but that's who they are. And that's actually okay. And it expands their mind and they become much more flexible and understanding of the human condition that is so diverse. 
Yeah, absolutely. Did you feel that that village grew once you had children or was it already kind of in place before you had kids? Because that's something I'm always thinking about too, is like how much of that cultivation of community who I want around my kids needs, of course it's happening now, but I also hope to some extent, of course, too, after I have kids that it'll grow with new people I haven't met yet or things like that. So I'm curious how it worked out for you. Oh, absolutely. So you can have your own friends and they may not be the same village that you will have when you have children, because it also has to do with how your children uh, Mm -hmm. feel with other people and other children. Right. So, yes, that community grows, changes a little bit. You know, you can still have your own best friend and might not be or a group of friends. And that could be separate from you as a mom. That's just you, Natalie. Um, That's your past. But you, Natalie, as a mom, probably will find a bigger community of other parents um, that are raising the children at the same time with you. And you can all do this somewhat um, together by supporting one another, by relying on each other. It's crucial. I can tell you parenting is lonely if you do it on your own. It is. Mm -hmm. So that loneliness and isolation is really unhealthy. So you want to be part of a community and find a village for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Um, And then lastly, what qualities do you most admire that you've worked to instill in your children? Um. I think mindfulness and again, like that being lifelong learners, like being Mm -hmm. open to conversations, to dialogues, to understanding other people, to using different modalities. You know, it's not um, when I'm stressed, then I always climb a mountain. Well, that's a very good thing. And actually I do that, but there could be other things. Sometimes I pick up the phone to talk to a friend. Sometimes I binge on Netflix. Sometimes I host a dinner party. Sometimes I have coffee with, you know, someone I haven't seen in a long time. I mean, we want to be well-rounded. That's Mm -hmm. what I, I didn't instill in my children. There's only one way of being, one way of doing. I show them how to be exposed and expand their mind to themselves as well as to others, the world around them and so on. So I think that's kind of who they are as people. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and all of your insight and advice. I know a lot of people will find this super helpful. Um, I'd love to, for you to share where people can find you. Um, So Dr. Siggy uh, on Instagram is um, right now the best way. And Mm -hmm. I think once we have more, there's also Dr. Siggy on uh, Facebook, if people prefer uh, that. Um, but definitely Instagram. There is a website, Dr. Siggy. It is right now being reinvented. Okay. <laughs> um, so when that comes out with the new sort of like information and and um, yeah. we're going to have courses and so on, we're going to let everybody know so they'll know how to find it. Okay, great. Yeah, so Instagram's the best. I'll include all the links in the yes. Well, thank you so much again. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And um, yeah, I appreciate you so much and all the work that you do. Right. Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I hope you learned something new. As always, please share this episode with a friend. And if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast, my goal is to get to 5,000 listeners by my birthday in May. And it would mean so much to me if you could help me do that by rating and reviewing this in the podcast app. Have a wonderful day, everyone.